this stuff was called Secret Drink Mix, uh, is <laughs> what it was known as. And yeah. you know, we bought that URL, and um, you know, I built us the world's worst website, <laughs> and it worked. You know, it worked enough to create some first yeah. steps. I think really thinking about the consumer first and foremost, and not trying to look for business opportunity, um, you know, is ultimately going to create something that authentically resonates. Um, and you know, of course, what you do after that, who the heck knows. <laughs> You know, we've been really intentional about bootstrapping this business. We've been really intentional about growing slowly and authentically. And again, the funny irony of that is that, you know, we've grown about as fast as we could possibly <laughs> handle it. Hi, I'm Dave Tabor, and this is the ProCo 360 podcast with stories and lessons from Colorado's world-class entrepreneurs. ProCo 360 is for those who crave knowing more about Colorado's uniquely amazing businesses and their leaders. Listeners, thanks to you, ProCo 360 is Westward Reader's best Denver podcast, three years running, and two years as a top 15 Colorado podcast on Feedspot. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Ian McGregor, CEO of Scratch Labs, a Colorado company that makes and sells all-natural hydration drinks, chews, and bars for people serious about how their bodies perform. Scratch Labs competes in a crowded space and is the second fastest growing brand in its category nationally. I'm excited to talk to Ian about Scratch Labs' niche, how it appeals to its customers, its use of Olympic athletes in marketing, and how Ian has had a really successful run as CEO with really almost no business experience. Yes, listeners, there's hope for all of us. Ian, thanks for sending me a great box of samples. I enjoyed the Choose Bars and I really liked the hydration drink. In fact, I drank it after a good workout, then felt great the next morning, even after I had a couple glasses of wine. That's unusual. So, Ian, I'm glad you could join me via Zoom as a guest on ProCo360. Thanks, Dave. It's, it's really fun to be here. I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast and, um, you know, I enjoy the unique Colorado angle. So thanks a lot. Let's start with the background from scratch and uh, kind of the backstory. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I, I wish we had was a more concise elevator pitch. So you might have to bear with me for a little <laughs> bit here. But, um, you know, my, my partner, uh, Alan Lim and I both came from the world of uh, pro cycling. And Alan's got a PhD in exercise physiology. And um, I was uh, sort of, a, you know, a mundane middle of the road rider on one of the teams that he was the director of sports science for. And, you know, pro cycling, it's, it's not the NFL, right? Um, we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. But at the same time, you know, the Tour de France is the biggest sporting event in the entire world. And, um, you know, a, a, a world tour team, the teams at the top of the sport, you know, they operate on a budget, you know, anywhere from 10 to 25, 30 million dollars annually. And so, you know, you've got some great sponsors who ultimately and indirectly, you know, help riders like me pay our mortgages. Um, but at the same time, you know, you really are in a performance sport where particularly nutrition is so important. And unfortunately, back in 2006, 2007 timeframe, um, you know, we had some sponsors that obviously were were grateful for in terms of helping support the team, but you know the products they made weren't necessarily working super well for the riders. And yeah, I mean, uh, Red Bull may not be the best uh, the best product. Yeah, yeah, it's got a place. You know, it's got yeah. a place, but maybe maybe not. You know, uh, <laughs> five liters of it a day, yeah. day after day in a, in a multi-stage race. So um, <laughs> totally, a Alan's job was to just help the riders. Um, you know, go as fast as possible. And in so many cases, it's not about marginal gains of aerodynamics. It's more about the bottlenecks that come from things like sleeping enough, from not getting sick from your sports drink. And, um, you know, the long story short is that 
stuff we had wasn't working great. And he started making his own and really started from a place of science, uh, first and foremost, but had access to a team of athletes where there was a high level of trust and, um, you know, started making stuff and iterated his way to something that worked really well. Um, I think in, in hindsight, the real value is that there wasn't an operations department talking about yeah. scalability. Um, there wasn't a marketing department talking about how am I going to, you know, sell this and differentiate this. Um, it was purely to solve a problem. And I think that it was that open-minded uh, or that openness to just focusing on solving the problem that ultimately allowed us to create yeah. some products. You know, I think uh, that's true. I mean, ultimately, I think the best products in the marketplace solve a nasty, persistent, nagging problem that doesn't have to be explained to the customer, right? I mean, let's say I don't want to scale on a one to 10. Where do you think Scratch fits? You know, for a target consumer, we're a 10. We solve yeah. a very real problem for a small number of consumers. Do um, they know, uh, so I interrupt you, uh, do they know this is a big problem? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you one of the most powerful stories um, for me in this experience with this business over the last 10 years, you know, um, I'll describe myself as a reluctant entrepreneur. Um, I was working on some fun technology projects at the time, and they were more exciting than starting a consumer packaged goods business. Uh, and of course, that's a word and, and, and you know, a, an acronym that I didn't even know what that meant. Back yeah. then. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember getting a, a phone call when we you know, we're just starting and it was just a way to get our friends to stop asking us, you know, to give them some for free. And this woman <laughs> called and she just had her 55th birthday. And she told me how she just finished a marathon for the first time in her life. And she'd spent the last 10 years training for it. And, you know, while maybe what she was saying in terms of what was our product was her, her belief that enabled her to do so. Maybe that was some placebo. Maybe it was the fact that she had trained for 10 years. Um, <laughs> but she really believed that this was the first time she was able to hydrate and not get sick while trying to run a marathon. And I can tell you for me personally, that moment uh, was an absolute aha. It really cemented this idea that this problem we were solving wasn't confined to Olympic level athletes, wasn't confined to the niche of the niche of the niche at the Tour de yeah, France, yeah. but that this was something that could really help, um, you know, and, and this is a little arrogant, but help normal people. And, and I think in hindsight now I've recognized, you know, running a marathon at 55 mm. is not normal. That's exceptional. Huh. But yeah. relative to Olympic level athletes, sure. you know, it's, it's more the middle of the bell curve. Well, you know, and... And I appreciate you saying sort of you're defining a, a broader audience than I was thinking maybe you initially started to target because I love a great niche. Listeners, if you listen to episodes going past, probably every other one talks about the niche, the niche, the niche. And um, I, I think a great niche is one that seems very small, very tight, um, and actually appeals to a broader, broader audience with authenticity. So, I mean, it's almost like concentric circles, right, of, of users. How would you describe your concentric users if you start from the, from the center and work your way out? Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, the center, right, the middle of the bullseye for us is going to be that um, super elite level endurance athlete. Um, and I think there's a caveat on there, which is, you know, endurance athlete doesn't necessarily mean someone that's going to define themselves as an endurance athlete. So for example, rock climbing is a place where we've got a lot of traction and where I think we've really helped uh, those athletes improve their performance, but they would never self-identify as endurance athletes, right? But yeah, from a yeah. physiological standpoint, they have the needs of endurance athlete. Um, so for us, it's that center of the bullseye, that elite endurance athlete. 
Um, but of course it expands and it expands rapidly and, you know, it expands to that, um, you know, individual who's trying to run a marathon it, and then it expands to the person who's trying to finish a 5k. Um, and I think you touched on this jokingly, but it's a, it's a real thing. Uh, you know, it helps with hangovers. Um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that our customer experience team hears amazing stories of people drinking scratch during childbirth, um, and how it really helped them get through, you know, for many people, one of the most challenging physical hmm. demanding situations they're ever going to face. Yeah. Um, and that, huh. that's really exciting. Well, your, your customers really do um, seem to care about what's in the product, especially when you compare it to the companies that look, that promote themselves, brand themselves as natural, as healthy. And, so, and then you read the labels and it's nowhere near that. And mm-hmm. it seems like Scratch really tries, and I'm going to read an excerpt from one of your descriptions. It's just an excerpt, but it says, it says um, cluster dextrin, which is a key ingredient, also has a unique structure. Its glucose units are linked together like branches wrapped into a wreath. When cluster dextrin is digested, its branches take time to unwrap and the glucose breaks off gradually. With super fuel, you get a steady release of energy. I mean, it it seems like you're trying to explain what makes you different. Is that true? Well, I think in that case, um, you know, there, those are definitely benefits and features of, of a particular product and a new brand new product for us, which is called super fuel. And, you know, it itself is focused um, on the elite of the elite, right? It's, it's focused on an athlete who's, performance problem is that they're not able to get enough calories, which I think for many of us is, is comical, right? I can yeah. tell you it's comical for me right <laughs> for now. <sure>. I <laughs> but, um, you know, I think back to when that's how I paid my mortgage and that was a real problem. And, um, you know, that's, that's a great example of a product that, you know, we don't have high expectations for, right? That's not a product that's not going to be on the shelf, um, you know, at a grocery store. It's not going to be on the shelf at Target. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's sort of the what the internet and the idea of long tail economics have enabled. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's so funny too, that you said, you know, for cal- for most of us, calories, not an issue. I'm looking at one of your bars right now. It's so funny. My wife's been teasing me because I've been sampling your products in my office all week. And uh, the back of the bar says, eat, eat it when you're hungry. Don't, if you're not repeat if necessary. I love that. And uh, you know, I think most of us do not have a challenge with caloric intake. Yeah. So, yeah, hey, uh, listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Ian McGregor, CEO of Scratch Labs. Thanks to our sponsors. Love these guys. Community Banks of Colorado, the law firm of Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, Microstar Keg Logistics, and Total Coaching Systems. These great companies support Colorado business and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for supporting me and Proco 360. Let's go to, um, and we're going to come back to this notion of segmenting even by your products in a minute, but let's start with those elite ones. You feature Olympic athletes to sort of role model scratch products. And it's a way that's different. Like Nike was originally known for doing that first. And their, it seemed like their objective was to feature these top-notch athletes in order to create aspiration for everyday people. Like Michael Jordan wears these shoes. Don't you want them? Um, but you model, you know, you want to model behavior differently. It seems like through serious athletes. Is that different for you? Yeah, I think it's a really great observation. And I think, you know, Phil Knight and what Nike did um, is incredibly aspirational. And, um, you know, but the world is also a little different, you know, than it was, what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, 
And, you know, I think for us, the partnership that we have with Olympic level athletes um, and, you know, world champions, et cetera, it starts with that uh, expectation of solving problems. And, you know, that super fuel product that we were just speaking to, um, you know, that's a product that we developed with Gwen Jorgensen um, over the last three years. And Gwen is an Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon and she's making a transition to the marathon. Um, I mean, just an absolutely incredible uh, inspirational athlete. But to your real question, the other thing that we don't do with those athletes is show those champagne shots. Um, you know, we're not looking for the glory. I think what we're really trying to help um, quote unquote, everyday people understand is that it's a grind and that, you know, the champagne shots might come once every four years. Uh, yeah. if you're like, or five first, now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for most, uh, professional athletes, they still don't ever come. Um, and that, you know, there's a lot more to the journey than there is just to that, that outcome, that expectation. Hmm. That makes me pause because usually products, position themselves as helping athletes win either a race or win in their life. You know, they position themselves as the heroes, you know, side by side with the athletes themselves. It sounds like you're not. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think that's great feedback. Um, you know, I can tell you for us, we think about our products as enabling the best part of someone's day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and that feels good. And that fits yeah. with our overall why, which is to help people become better. And, um, you know, for most of us, better is not winning, uh, an Olympic medal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, better, yeah, is winning, yeah. better is not winning anything. Uh, better is, is enabling us to, you know, work all day, have a snack with one of our bars, you know, while finishing up those last emails, uh, at the office, <laughs> you know, maybe you jump in the car, maybe you don't, and you get out and you're able to do that hour and a half hike at the end of the day with yeah. your kids. Um, and that's what we're hoping yep. to do. Well, speaking of everyone every day and stuff, this really gets to one of the uh, crux of one of the questions I have when it comes to specialty products like yours. I mean, you start out thinking and developing products for like high end ultra professional athletes, people who really need your products to fine tune their performance. And so, you know, you start out selling specifically to them, straight up to them. Then you go into specialty stores like a bike shop, a running shop and so forth. Then now I see you've gone, okay, Whole Foods. Then you go to Target, you're in King Supers, which of course these, this distribution is the holy grail, but how do you then manage your brand across all those different platforms? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I can tell you that for all that success that you just described, um, you know, we've said no uh, a whole lot more often than we've said yes. And, um, you know, we still have a real focus on supporting specialty retail. And the reason for that is that's where our real target consumer, um, you know, gets support, gets expertise, um, you know, and is introduced to products like ours. And, um, you know, for us, we've got this omni-channel approach. I mean, we've got nine or 10,000 retailers in the U.S. that sell our products. Um, but we've got uh, a strategy in place that puts different products in different places um, yeah. and, you know, holds tight lines. Um, you know, the other big piece and, you know, on the business side is, is price. Um, you know, we uh, are not creating a disadvantage to, you know, the mom and pop uh, rock climbing gym, you know, who has one door that's ordering um, maybe only a few hundred dollars a year. You know, they're able to compete on a level playing field um, with some of these bigger retailers. And, really? Uh, so if I go to a rock climbing place, uh, a gym, and I see your product, it's going to be priced the same as it's priced at King Supers. Absolutely. And of course, you know, there's, there's room for promotions and, you know, we work with yeah. people to create success and recognize that every business is different, but um, yeah. Because I always wonder, like, and by the way, are some of your products only through specialty retailers versus others? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So a great example of that, you know, we've got a sport recovery mix. 
And, um, you know, just for, for a moment of explanation, it's, this is not a protein drink. This is a high caloric replacement for somebody who just did, you know, could be a six or eight hour effort, right? An mm-hmm. Ironman. And what they need to do is replenish the glycogen stores in their body and get some protein as well, right? To rebuild muscle. But it's really about calories and getting those calories back in your system as fast as possible. And that's a product that we don't sell at Whole Foods. That's a product yeah. that we don't sell and, you know, probably never will sell um, outside of the specialty space. I think that's cool because one of the things I constantly, it goes through my head is like, I remember the first time I saw a spider in Costco. And I think to myself, what the hell? You know, I thought these guys were a high-end brand, but they're in Costco, so they must not be anymore. And it to me, especially in sporting, athletics, and everything else, aspirational nature of products is so critical, and it can be so, in my opinion, so easily lost. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in that case, and I of course don't know, right? So this is a, a guess on my behalf, yeah, and I could yeah. totally be wrong. But you know, in that, I don't necessarily see a compromise of product uh, or even an intentional one of brand. My guess is what you have is an expectation from ownership or investors or whatever yeah. the cap table might be around growth. And I think that in many cases, um, if you look back to our own genesis, had the brands that were sponsoring these teams um, yeah. been focused on you know that space, uh, we never would have existed. You know. But instead, mm-hmm. those brands were looking towards big growth, and big growth exists yeah. in the middle of a bell curve. Um, yep, I, I get it. And that's what makes me so interested in companies like yours, because you have some integrity in your brand, and it sounds like you're interested in maintaining it. And I think then the challenge becomes, um, how do you grow while maintaining this, you know, an integ- a niche of integrity? So what's your answer to that? Well, I'd start by challenging the expectation that you have to grow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a closet economist <laughs> and, you know, there's a, there's some wonderful, there's a wonderful book and a lot of great research uh, around this idea called donut economics. And, you know, that perpetual growth is, you know, not only unsustainable for the environment, but that it's, you know, how does that actually work? How does something increase at ever and ever rates, right? It's just not possible. And I think for us, you know, our goal is not to sell. Um, our goal is not to be as big as possible. Our goal uh, is to play, you know, an infinite game, sort of a la Adam Grant, right? Which he did an amazing job of, um, uh, I think, putting to words something that we've felt for, for 10 years. Um, and I think that's a different expectation. And, and um, you know, it probably doesn't fit if you take on a bunch of venture capital money, um, right? Because you have a, you have a responsibility um, there. But, you know, we've been really intentional about bootstrapping this business. We've been really intentional about growing slowly and authentically. And again, the funny irony of that is that, you know, we've grown about as fast as we could possibly (laughs) handle. And (laughs) yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, It it is interesting. I I think a lot of the people in the specialty foods business start out that way. And then whether it's Justin's nut butter or whatever, you know, they get big enough to where the dollars just become too big to decline. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's, there's nuances in there that are hard to understand and that have to be peeled Well, back. selling out's not a nuance. Well, but I think you got to ask the question of why. And, and, you know, is it really about selling out? And I think that, you know, the food space, which we're partially in, but we're not fully in. Yeah, yeah. You know, for us, like, it's not about distribution, you know, into the natural food space and then to traditional grocery and then into big box. That's not the path to success. And if we don't go there, it doesn't mean that we'll be unsuccessful. And I think for some yeah. of the food brands that you're mentioning or thinking about, that is the case. And yeah. there is a more commodity element to what they're doing. And if they mm-hmm. don't do it, someone else will. And yeah. again, I think for us, the, the, the continued focus on innovation enables mm-hmm. us to uh, avoid getting copied or outcompeted. Well, 
I think it positions you better to defend against that. Certainly, people will try, and as more successful, right? You get they'll they'll try. So, um, hey, one more listen uh, reminder for listeners: This is Proco Three Hundred and Sixty. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Ian McGregor, CEO of Scratch Labs. Be sure to go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app. Thanks for doing that. Let's turn back a little bit more now to uh, to the business kinds of things. And you started really without a background in business, and you're the CEO of a really fast-growing company. So how did that come together? You know, I've never taken a business class in my life, um, you know, not even in high school. And, uh, you know, I studied engineering as an undergrad at, at School of Mines. Um, but, uh, but I'll tell you this, there's a, there's a few things that come to mind for me. One is, you know, we can't discount the role that luck plays in stuff. And I think that, um, <laughs> you know, if we had started uh, with our products uh, 20 years ago, it wouldn't have happened. We were really fortunate to have social media on our side. We were really fortunate to, to fit at a uh, sort of space and time where people were looking to support smaller companies. Uh, and that's really important to keep in mind. I think, mm-hmm. you know, for myself to try and address your question, you know, the first thing that comes to mind that really makes me laugh is, you know, I've had to learn faster than the company has grown. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure that I've succeeded at that at, you know, every single point in time. Um, but I've been aware of it. And I think that as I look to the future, it's possible that at some point I'll become the bottleneck. And if that's the case, I hope that I have not only the awareness, but the humility to get out of the way and get somebody in who can run it. Um, yeah. Coaches, mentors, um, yeah. I am blown away at the community support that comes not only from sort of the Boulder natural foods community, but the broader Colorado business community. It's um, the opposite of the athletic world where things are cutthroat. Um, yeah. I'm amazed at the amount of support we've had. Um, you know, EO, uh, which is an organization uh, globally for entrepreneurs, has been just an amazing resource. Um, we've had some people on your show like Dan Konigsberg. I mean, Dan and I were in a, a forum together for a number of years, and I've learned so much from him. Um, so, you know, open, listen, and, and make mistakes. Celebrate failure uh, when it enables you to uh, You know, I think that's a good caveat. Celebrate, celebrate failure when it enables you to learn is certainly – and, you know, most failure is an, is an opportunity for that, for sure. Can you think of a good example? I've got a lot of thoughts. Oh, I'm sure you do. A failure. You know, I think maybe my, a a great one to share with you would be, you know, when we first started and and when you have an entrepreneurial company, especially a bootstrapped one, you know, everybody wears so many hats, but as you grow, you've got to take some of those hats off and pass them off to somebody else. And, um, you know, a great lesson for me really came out of some of the work that Gay Hendricks has done or Laura Garnett around what they call the zone of genius. And they, they each have their own slightly different frameworks, but, you know, really recognizing that stuff that you're good at, um, there's probably somebody who's great at it and mm-hmm. stuff that you might be great at, but that you don't like, there's inevitably somebody who's great at it, who loves it. And really being intentional about creating that delegation, which ultimately elevates everybody around you. And that is a mistake that, um, you know, repeated itself over Ah. years. And I'm I'm sure it'll come back. I'm sure it will. You know, it's not one you can learn uh, forever. So what's something that you're great at that you didn't want to do and you passed off? Uh, you know, believe it or not, um, I'm pretty good at reading and understanding legal documents. Um, and I, you know, 30, 40 page distributor agreements, you know, big yeah. contracts with elite athletes, et cetera. Um, it takes a lot of energy for me to get yeah. into that space. And, um, you know, we've got a great partnership with, with the legal team we've worked with for a bunch of years. And, um, 
you know, talk about freeing. Um, hmm. You know, that's a bill that I never, never uh, feel badly when I have to pay because there's real yeah. value out there. What's something you didn't want to give up, but just decided you had to? You know, I think the marketing side of things for me, um, I'm not a leader, but I think that the numbers make sense. And as you know, um, the digital side of, of, you know, commerce has really picked up. It became a yeah. game of statistics <laughs> and, yeah. you know, as a, as an engineer, that was, it's always resonated well with me, you know, um, yeah. but uh, you know, it can't do everything. And, and yeah, we've been yeah. fortunate to add some incredibly talented people who probably can do the numbers as well as I do. Um, so yeah, you gotta, cool. you gotta pass it off and you gotta speak about it. So I'm thinking of you and Dr. Lim, Dr. Lim created this stuff and I guess you were standing next to him one day and he said, Hey, you want to try to sell this, uh, this stuff? And that made you CEO, right? Um, I mean, no, it wasn't defined that way. Right. It was, oh. uh, there was a product and he and I started making it. I, I had a leg injury, so I was pushed out of procycling, you know, over the course of just a couple months, I went from, you know, being sort of at the beginning of what could be a peak to, you know, stopping uh, in just a few months. And it was, it was a hard period in time personally. Um, and so I started working with him and we were just making this stuff and more and more friends and former teammates just kept asking for it. And so, you know, as they asked, we wanted to serve and wanted to help. And so we started making it and then we built the website and, you know, just sort of off to the races. Got it. Oh, so a website, so a website was your first step into business. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff was called secret drink mix, uh, <laughs> what it was known as. And, yeah. you know, we bought that URL and, um, you know, I built us the world's worst website <laughs> and it worked, you know, it worked enough to create some first yeah. steps. So, but, but you can't just go sell stuff publicly. You have to go through all kinds of product safety stuff and licensing. Don't you, you can't, unless you did it uh, without saying anything. Right. But yeah, you're selling I mean, a food product. The reality there is, you know, there's some cottage food laws, and I didn't know this back then, but that do yeah. enable, enable you to sell a food product, um, yeah. you know, up into a certain point. I don't know the number. It's, I think it's 50000 or something in revenue. Yeah. So, you know, we recovered from that standpoint, but we didn't know that stuff either. And, um, you know, we just figured it out um, one day at a time. Yeah. Was there a day that you became CEO officially? You know, right when we were transitioning from Secret Drink Mix to Scratch Labs and, um, you know switched from reluctant entrepreneur to engaged in business. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it, there was, there was uh, six or seven of us who were all working and, you know, all of us were full time, but you know, it was still um, not necessarily something we saw ourselves doing in the long term. It was just what's here right now. Um, mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how it happened, but you know, those six <laughs> or seven people looked to me and I was the youngest, but you know, that didn't matter. And we were all just grabbing the pieces that we could do the best with. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally lucky uh, that it's worked out and put a lot of work into it as well. Really? So you guys were sitting around one day and everybody said, well, who should be the CEO? And everybody looked at you and that's what happened? Well, I think before things were defined, right, we fall into our natural tendencies. And yeah, I do think yeah. that I, I have a few unique abilities. And one of them is that I can speak um, and understand multiple languages. And I don't necessarily, you know, think, uh, you know, traditional languages, right? But I can understand operations. I can understand yeah. marketing. And I think um, the integration of those different pieces uh, is a real skill set that I have. Um, cool. you know, and, and Alan is um, an incredible, incredible uh, visionary. And he is like off the scale from a traditional standpoint. And I'm pretty far along that scale myself, but I think that enables me to translate what he's saying <laughs> um, you know, back cool. into the business itself. Well, this was your first foray into business. It still is. And what did you like? What did you discover after you were CEO of a real company? As it became a real company, what did you discover that would have surprised you uh, going into this years ago? 
Yeah, I think the piece that I never realized and um, is is risk and the my own personal tolerance for risk. And I'll give you a, a quick fun story. So one of the first senior executives that we ever hired was this guy named Jeff Houston. And Jeff, before he came to Scratch Labs, was at a, a company um, that was north of 50 million in revenue. And before he was at that company, he was at a company that was north of 500 million in revenue. Mm. Before he was at that company, he worked for Budweiser. Wow. And um, so he is going, you know, uh, smaller and smaller and smaller. And we were really small when we hired him. And um, about two weeks after Jeff started, he and I were grabbing lunch and just sort of doing the, you know, onboarding thing, ask questions, give answers, you know, fill in the gaps, et cetera. And Jeff um, kind of got serious for a moment. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Ian, before we start, I have to tell you something. I'm realizing that this, when we meant by this is joining Scratch, uh, is the riskiest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I laughed with a full, deep, <laughs> uncontrollable belly laugh. And the reason was, I wasn't questioning what he was saying. I wasn't disagreeing with what he was saying. But the perspective that he and I each brought to it couldn't have been more different. Because wow, for yeah. me, at that point in time, it was actually the safest thing that I had ever been doing <laughs> in my entire life. You know, the theme of the Proco 360 podcast is featuring world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. So how do you feel being a Colorado-based company has played a role? Well, I spoke to the community and support that has come out of Colorado, and um, I can't reiterate that enough. Um, you know, obviously, I don't have personal experience trying to start a business anywhere else, but I do have, you know, many years of, of you know, high-level athletics, and I can tell you that, you know, mm -hmm. despite having people who are paid to coach and support and mentor, um, you know, we've gotten more support, more coaching, more guidance, more help um, from the Colorado and Boulder business communities than I could have ever dreamed, uh, you know, would be possible. And it's been real help too, um, with no malice, no expectation. That's super cool. Uh, what's next for scratch? You know, for us, we've got an incredibly focused set of goals. Um, you know, we've got a vision in place that's incredibly clear. Uh, it's not about selling the company. It's not about getting as big as possible, as fast as possible. It's about serving this niche. And, you know, for us, there are more problems to solve. And we continue to invest a lot of time and a lot of money into solving those problems. Um, you know, we've got some, I can't say, of course, <laughs> but we've got some really fun new products coming uh, early next year that are, you know, not just line extensions, but truly new products that we're really excited about. And all the feedback we've had from, you know, athletes from Olympic level to, you know, young kids has been really positive. Um, that's so cool. Work to be cool. done. Oh, that's cool. What, you know, there are so many, you know, small food product, nutritional products and so forth coming out of Boulder or anywhere really, but, but Boulder's really the, the Mecca for these kinds of things and in Colorado. And when there are probably going to be listeners of this episode that are thinking, you know, what should, what's the key question I should be asking Ian about how to think about approaching a business in this world? What is it? Well, I think, and this is, comes from my own bias and own experience, but I think that it's not thinking about it as a business. I think it's about problem solving. Um, you know, framework that really resonates for me personally is the, you know, jobs to be done. Um, I think it's Clayton Christensen or something along those lines who actually just passed away. And I think really thinking about the consumer first and foremost and not trying to look for a business opportunity, um, you know, is ultimately going to create something that authentically resonates. Um, and, you know, of course, what you do after that, who the heck knows? <laughs> Hold yeah, on. yeah, yeah. It seems like you read a lot. I do. I do. Yeah, I do too. Um, what, what's that all about? Like, how do you find time and what do you gravitate to? 
Well, again, I don't think it's about finding time. I think it's about prioritizing. And I think, you know, I have since the very beginning of this recognized that I didn't have a business education, um, you know, that I was a 26 year old ex pro athlete, you know, struggling to finish my undergrad in engineering while starting a business. <laughs> and, you know, I very quickly recognized that I didn't want to be the bottleneck. Um, so, you know, it's always been a focus. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to, to grad school and get an MBA um, starting that. And, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a lot that I've learned in our own journey, but um, just learning, man, it's, it's an incredible, yeah. fun opportunity. That's cool. Well, you'll bring a lot too, a lot of hard knocks to, the, to your MBA courses and people will appreciate learning through you too. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Hey, let's wrap up here. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today I'm Proco360. You've been listening to my conversation with Ian McGregor, CEO of Scratch Labs. Ian, thanks. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun to have this conversation and uh, I appreciate what you're doing, sharing the stories of Colorado businesses. Well, you're welcome. And so are listeners. Uh, And thank you, listeners, for joining me on Proco360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, Microstar Keg Logistics, Total Coaching Systems, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. Thank you.